I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. With me is Jason Osborne, Global Head of Consumer Banking, Auto Finance and Client Solutions for Genpact. We're talking about how traditional banks and fintechs will work together in the future. This is something which is going to be unavoidable both for banks and fintechs, fintechs who want volume and exposure and banks who need to stay relevant in the new digital age. I think when most people hear the word fintech, they kind of think a, a bank in a box, if you will, or, or a certain front-end application that's uh, drawing deposits or giving loans, whatever it might be. But, but the reality is financial technology is so, so much more everything from core product processes, which are now cloud-based, for example, 10X or Thought Machine or Mambu. Uh, if you take a look at Money 2020, which we were at, and you look at Zeta or Galileo and some of the work that they're doing, really from a financial technology perspective, it's, it's, it's truly endless. And to your point around traditional banking in terms of how do banks stay relevant, I think the ultimate question is over time, how do banks stay relevant? How do they become more than just a balance sheet as a service, if you will? And I think that's uh, where this ecosystem of partnerships between financial technology, fintech, tech fin, traditional banks have to come together and they will each have a specific role to play. Well, there is one group of people that we haven't mentioned yet, and those are the customers. It's all about the customer experience and the needs of the customer. Banks are having to turn into responsive animals in a way that they never were before. Tied to that, Robin, what I think the holy grail of banking is the data the banks have, the traditional banks have still yet to figure out how to truly tap into. And how do you tap into it responsibly? So be able to leverage tech for good in terms of financial well-being, but at the same point in time, avoid a creepiness factor where you may have seen in the US, for example, uh, there was a particular bank that sent a note to customers, are you really sure you want to spend that money on coffee today? Clients and customers don't exactly need to be preached at at the same point in time. So, so how do you leverage all of the data? How do you create unique client uh, client experiences while at the same point in time being responsible and leveraging tech for good is something that banks will have to work through. And and we have some great use cases and examples and, and things that we've been working on to be able to help banks think through that as well. Let's hear some of them. Give me an example. We're talking about best practice. How banks the traditional banks and fintechs can leverage off each other. What kind of illustrations can you offer us? Yeah, sure. So I'll give you two examples, Robin. And then I'll give you one example that hasn't yet been implemented, but where I think the world is headed. So so the first example that I'll give you is in financial crime or anti-financial crime, as the case may be. And then the second one I'll give you is uh, related to client experience, whenever COVID first kicked off and folks were extremely worried about debt and what would clients and how would they react and respond to that. But let me start with financial crime. So one of the big challenges that traditional banks have today, and and even fintechs for that matter, is how do you create a straight through, you know, streamlined process as it relates to onboarding as an example. So if you go back two, three, five years ago, not in that, you know, distant past, the onboarding for a client involved up to 67. I saw one bank that had 89 questions before they could actually open an account. And so what we've done is uh, we have actually a solution that we call Risk Canvas. And what Risk Canvas does is it largely automates a large chunk of what's required from a KYC perspective. And so, so this is a 
uh, technology solution that effectively has inputs and APIs and, and uh, connectivity to thousands of databases all over the world so that whenever you go to apply for an account or if you would apply for a small business loan, or even if you're an institutional bank and you're looking to onboard a new client, we can help streamline that and automate that process through this technology that we have that basically pulls together data from thousands and thousands of databases out there and then effectively reduces the manual KYC process for many, many thousands and in fact, hundreds of thousands of clients globally. The second example I'll give you as it relates to data is whenever COVID first kicked off, we were working with a bank that uh, they were getting a lot of phone calls, so customer service inquiries about BAU items, right? Whether it was uh, address change or whether it was around checking balance or for whatever reason, folks may have not been comfortable with an IVR and wanted to speak with uh, a live agent. And so one of the things that naturally happened over these conversations when a, when a customer service rep would say, how is your day going? A number of folks would say, oh, I'm really nervous about the future. I'm, I'm scared. I don't know exactly how I'm going to make ends meet this month, or I'm really worried about COVID and financially, what is that going to mean for us, my family, the world, et cetera. So we identified about 20 keywords and phrases, and we leveraged AI, both from a voice perspective, as well as context in our notes, and then also live chat, where we were able to go in and get the messages and effectively uh, run an algorithm to be able to capture those keywords and phrases. And then we worked with that bank's credit and risk team to then proactively go out and offer a hardship program for that customer who may have concerns about the future. It was completely proactive. It was not mandatory. It's not like the bank was forcing hardship programs, but just the client experience around being able to leverage that data and for the client to know that the bank actually cared enough to call them back and say, remember that conversation we had? We have a solution that may be helpful if interested. Uh, it was in the best interest of the client. It worked well for the bank. And clearly, the client experience was, was phenomenal. The third example I'll give you is, and this is, a, this is where I think banks are headed, right? Again, whether it's traditional banks, fintechs, and again, the ability to be able to think through how do you leverage data and leverage it responsibly to your point, create ideal client experiences. So uh, whenever I was um, in, in my previous employer, I would fly back and forth to London. I did it every single month for about a year. And whenever I landed in London, I would actually have to call the bank and switch my account from USD to GBP in order to avoid some of the international uh, fees that I would otherwise be paying to my court. If you think about the fact that the bank knew they had all the transaction data of the booking of the hotel, the booking of the flight, the purchase of the Heathrow Express Pass every single time that I went to the city. And so when you think you could combine all that data together, and think about next time I fly to London, when I land, it says, you know, Mr. Osborne, welcome to London. The weather is 55 degrees Fahrenheit and raining because that's pretty much what the weather is all the time. Uh, you wouldn't even need much AI for that. And then, you know, by the way, here's the next Heathrow Express Pass is on us. Thanks for being a loyal member. Or we've upgraded your room at the Marriott. Thanks for being a loyal member. Or whatever it might be, right? There, there are a million use cases that you could create off the back of that data but again, the, the challenge here is the creepiness factor. How do you do it in a way that's responsible? How do you do it in a way that doesn't share data externally, uh, but at the same point in time creates an ideal client experience is something that I think will be the future of banking. And frankly, that's what's going to differentiate the banks going forward. You know, I think you're the first person, and I see it now, now that you've talked about it, but you're the first person I've ever spoken to about the use of 
AI about the use of data by financial institutions who use the word creepiness. <laughs> so how do you get around that? Because understanding the data, offering a personalized experience, how do you offer a personalized experience that doesn't get creepy? There are a lot of things that you could do. Number one, I think it depends on uh, the client and the segment in which you're talking about as well. Uh, you may have a certain segment of, of clients that are going to be more open to those types of ideas as compared to others. And I think how do you do it transparently is the main thing. And so when you think about being transparent with your clients, do they know what the data will be used for? When will it be used? How will it be used? And for the benefit of the client, will the data be shared externally versus internally? And I think if banks and financial institutions are transparent and upfront to their clients to be able to say, can we use your data for ABCDFG, internal versus external, give the client the choice. If they don't want it used for external purposes, let them you know, opt out. They shouldn't have to. But again, I think that so many times banks are either reluctant to ask the question or to put the choice in the client's hands for whatever reason that that actually creates a negative impact in terms of what they could be doing or how they could be using that data. And again, it's about creating that client experience that I think the majority of clients would probably welcome. Even if you didn't use it for external purposes and you just leveraged it internally, clients would be okay with that. But again, how do you do it in a transparent way? Well, this is what digital financial services is all about. It's not just about having a, a smarter way of making payments, although that's a huge chunk of it but it's about getting personalized lending proposals. It's about having a better service from the bank. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And, and if you think about it, Robin, it happens all the time anyways. When you go into Amazon, it has recommendations. When you go into Netflix, it has recommendations. When you go on YouTube, it's recommendations. Why can't a bank make recommendations and do it in a responsible way? And that can be either for things like you just mentioned, uh, for loans, for savings, or investments, or be able to partner with ecosystems to be able to say, look, we know that you've made a purchase to go to Hawaii and you're flying on American Airlines and you're staying at an Airbnb. We'd like to be able to get you a discount on that trip. How can we leverage the data to be able to do that? I think is something that is coming. It's only a matter of time because that's, again, what's going to differentiate one bank versus another. We're past the point of a savings account being 50 basis points higher being the main differentiator for a digital bank versus a traditional bank or amongst digital banks. Do you have a picture in your mind what the end goal is, what fully implemented digital financial services would look like? Obviously, we've touched on some aspects of it already, I guess. Yeah, sure. I think ultimate digital financial services is going to be an ecosystem of players or an ecosystem of technology solutions that effectively make clients' financial well-being significantly better. And so I, let me give you a few examples of that. So whenever you open an account, I mentioned before, the KYC process should be automated. You shouldn't have to answer 67 questions or as automated as possible. Whenever you want to get in touch with a contact center, you shouldn't have to call anyone. There's no reason you can't use Apple Chat for business or or whatever your preferred messenger app is, right? WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, you name it. What is the client's preference to be able to do that? And that doesn't rely on bank systems, by the way, that relies on this ecosystem of partners I was talking about. Whenever you think about even uh, from a collections perspective, how do you leverage data to be able to create uh, empathy? So I'll give an example. We're partnering with one company right now 
that actually leverage AI, leverages AI during the conversation to both drive empathy in the discussion, but also to be able to offer the client real-time solutions where they may be struggling financially. Uh, whenever you think about things like the client's experience that we spoke about, how do you have ecosystems of data and partner that it may be anonymized data, but you still leverage that data for the for the client's well-being. Whenever you think about investment and investment portfolios, and you think about how do you tie together the best of whether it's an internally built, you know, kind of auto investment guide and solution, or you partner with a company like Sigfig as an example to be able to API and connect back into and create model portfolios for clients and customers. And the list goes on and on and on. I don't want to belabor the point, but I do think that the end state here, Robin, is going to be traditionally banks have done things in silos on their own. They built their product processors or partnered with maybe one company. They leveraged one monolithic structure for customer service, which was largely dependent upon voice. They have a branch network that historically has been important because that's how you get deposits and then cross-sell credit cards and so on and so forth. The future is not going to be massive monolithic structures. The future is going to be ecosystems of best-in-class solutions that will likely create a more complex environment. And that's one thing that banks will have to work through is how do you embed these ecosystems without overcomplicating you know, the, the effective structure. But at the end of the day, what it looks like is ideal client experience, bespoke financial solutions for dependent upon the segment and where you're at in your financial well-being and financial point in life. And then tied to that is going to be um, this concept of data to create and do what's best for the client given their financial situation. Banks are seeing their cost structures change. They're seeing downward pressure on the fees they charge. Are they going to be able to deliver all this and do it profitably? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a great question. And and frankly, there's also a bit of a, um, if you think of traditional banks and things like Durban rules in the US where you can get interchange fees on debit cards, whereas some of the fintechs, if you think of the newer players, don't have that same role because they don't have X billions of dollars in deposits and things like that. So there's, there's a bit of an unlevel playing field as well as it relates to some of it. But, but I think that the question, Robin, is not can banks afford to do this? I think the question is if banks don't do this, will they stay in business? And I think that's really ultimately what's going to have to be answered over the next decade. And it's not going to happen overnight because The opportunity that banks have is they have the scale and the challenges that fintechs have is there's a lack of scale. And so how do you bring the two together to create what I call artificial scale for the fintechs by leveraging the millions and millions of clients that these traditional big banks have? And ultimately, what does that look like? Does that look like where the bank plays a balance sheet as a service role and everything else is through kind of third-party ecosystems? Or does it look like there's a bit of co-opetition so if you look, for example, at uh, what, what J.P. Morgan Chase had done in the U.S. with this company, OnDeck, where it was a bit of friendly co-opetition, OnDeck was able to generate and originate the loans, uh, but they leveraged J.P. Morgan's balance sheet to be able to do so. So I think that we're going to see more of that. The other question that I think, frankly, over time will be is how comfortable are clients going to be with some certain, you know, certain fintechs? given they may not have the longevity and the stability that banks have. I think one of the opportunities that traditional banks do have is they're looked at as very stable. If you look at post-financial crisis, you know, if you're willing to leave your money with a big traditional bank or 
a fintech, again, it depends on the segment, but I do think clients see banks as more stable and probably more secure over the long run. So how do banks use that to their advantage is, is a question they're, they're going to have to answer. Jason Osborne, Global Head of Consumer Banking, Auto Finance and Client Solutions for GenPact. Thank you very much.